Thank you for having me here this morning. Um, and it is really about, what was I thinking, printing in font that small? What was I possibly thinking about? None of you are as old as I am, almost, so you don't even know what I'm talking about. Uh, thank you for having me here um, this morning. It's uh, just always a joy to come back. I've been here three times, we remember, so this would make four um, over the decade or more that you have been around. Um, so it's good to come back and to see you all. Um, a blessing I received this morning from your prayer team. Um, I met, had a chance to meet Stuart at Billy's Coffee Shop and um, got a little, get to know him a little bit. And then we met in the breezeway, that's what it's called. And they prayed for me and for my wife, who was undergoing some really bad back pains. And for the mission, because um, the ship that was coming in at 11 o'clock this morning decided to come in at 8.30 this morning. So I had to drag my wife out of bed and say, you need to go to the mission and run it because i got to go to Cornerstone. So she's there right now. But just, they just blessed me and blessed her with just a sweet time of prayer. And um, I was saying to Stuart this morning that I've, I go to a lot of churches in the covenant, and I see a lot of churches that are in transition, and, and some sort of just are in transition because they went through some problems, but some just because God is doing a move, and I think that's what's going on here. And I've noticed that those churches who take time to intentionally pray and put God first and to arrest our human desire to try and take control, those churches are moving forward. And that's what I see happening here. So a blessing on you and for the leadership team and the prayer team and all the work that's going on here. Um, it's wonderful and marvelous to see. Uh, I was driving to work um, this week and I got there a little bit late and, and around 9 o'clock. It was not really late. There was nothing going on. There was a ship in, an industrial ship, but one of our chaplains were signed up to visit it. Well, I get to the mission. One of the seafarers was already in the center. In fact, he was in the money ground room and my office administrator, Ida, it happened to be her day there, uh, and she was taking care of him. And he was actually sending some money home uh, to his family in the Philippines, to his wife and to his older siblings. And so it kind of caught me off guard because that ship is on the other side of the channel. So it's, it's not a long walk, but it was it's probably about a mile or so. So he walked. First of all, he found out where the mission was, and then he walked there and was hoping that somebody would be there, and his prayers were answered because Ida was there. So I said, well, you know, let me give you a ride back to the ship when we're all done. So he, he sent some money home, and he bought a phone card so he could call home, and he used the payphone outside to tell him the money was coming and so forth. So it was time to leave, and we get into the car, and he's, he's from the Philippines, so we just, you know, started chatting away. And um, now, part of my job is to drive around Boston for a living. So I've learned some skills that I'm not proud of. <laughs> but they're skills that are necessary. It's cut or be cut off in Boston, right? So um, I get to be, tend to be aggressive. <laughs> that would be an understatement when I drive. Um, I often will take the chaplain sign off the dashboard of my car. <laughs> so as not to embarrass his church and, you know, for people to know, you know, what kind of a job I have. So we're driving uh, to the ship, and in a rare, rare moment of altruism, I let another car cut in front of me. 
And the seafarer said, this is why I, one of the reasons I love coming to America, the drivers are so disciplined and courteous. (laughs) And I said, brother, this is your first time in Boston, isn't it? He said, yes, father. And I said, all right, well, give it time. We still got a half a mile to go. And, you know, you can call me Steve. He said, oh, thank you, Father Steve. And so I said, what is your name? And he said, Lord. I said, Lord as in the Grammy-winning pop singer or Lord as in the Messiah? And he said, no, no, Lord as in Lord Jesus. I said, that isn't your name, is it Lord Jesus? He said, no, no, Father. Well, we just had a wonderful conversation. And finally he said, I also want to offer a thousand thanks. That was an interesting phrase. I don't often hear that. Uh, a thousand thanks. I said, for what? What did I do other than let that car go in front of us? He said, wherever we go as seafarers, whatever port we come into, there's always someone from the seafarers mission there to meet us and help us and bless us. And as seafarers, we don't know what we would do without that mission presence to help us. Now, I'm putting it in a little bit better English than what he spoke it to me, but that was the intent of what he was saying. The thousand thanks were not for me. The thousand thanks were for the church, the church which provides seafarers' missions in the waterfront in almost every port around the world. It touched him. It blessed him. He could count on it. When he was most afraid and most scared and most sad, he knew that they would be there to help him with any number of things, to reconnect back home, to to just find out what was going on with his family, to be encouraged. They are the travelers, and as they come into various ports, it is as if Jesus comes alongside of them. Our gospel, our lesson for this morning is from the gospel of Luke. It's the end of Luke chapter 24. It is after Easter. The women had already gone to the tomb and found the tomb empty. And they had told whoever they could find that the tomb was empty. So there was a sense of renewed what happened, a renewed hope. What's going on here? But there was still this kind of dreaded sense of the same phrase. What happened? For three years he was among us and we were so encouraged and we were moving forward and miracles were being done. And this was where we were going to go and he was going to bring us to a new place. He was the Messiah. And he died. Worse than died. He was murdered. He was hung on a cross. So there's the sense of, well, what happened? This isn't how we thought it was going to play out. I'm going to read from chapter 24, beginning at verse 13. Well, and actually, is this in the English Standard Version? All right, so let me just switch there. Fine. I'm going to read the King James Version. You follow along in that. And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem about seven miles. 
This says three score for, I can't read that. <laughs> and actually, you have these in slides for me, right? Where'd you go? There you are. Yes, wonderful. This is called Changing in Midstream. We're just going to go a slide at a time to this as I kind of talk about it, all right? If it's not all right, tough. You come up here and preach. Today, I'm preaching. <laughs> That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened, going back and forth and saying, you know, the, the marvelous ministry that Jesus did, but then these horrible, you know, past few days, and he died, and it was, it was most of them couldn't even watch it or were afraid for their lives. All these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. So, when I read scripture, I like to kind of expand the whole thing and just ask all sorts of silly questions. I need some volunteers. You two, stand up. <laughs> and you come up. <laughs> she was laughing the most, so I grabbed her. Walk that way. You stay there. You go that way. What's your name? No, you're Jesus. <laughs> you're Cleopas, and you're the guy wearing the t-shirt that says, I'm with Cleopas. All right? Now, you guys, now, just stand there. You look real beautiful. You, don't they look fantastic? Don't they look fantastic? Thank you. So they're walking along, and they're talking. Pretend you're talking to each other. Is it because I'm walking in front of that thing? Okay, I'll stay over here. I'll stay. I'll go no further. And they're talking to each other, and they're concerned, and they're wondering what's going on. And all of a sudden, Jesus shows up. Jesus, walk up to them and stand right next to them. Explain to me why Cleopas and the other guy don't know who Jesus is. Something else happened, right? It wasn't that they didn't know who Jesus... I mean, they, they, they heard all the stories. They probably saw Jesus at some point. They probably have seen him a, a number of times. Later on, I'm going to give you a suggestion as to when they actually saw him. But right now, Cleopas and the other guy don't know who Jesus is, even though they're this close together. Thank you. Have a seat. Next slide, please. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? Does anybody here think that Jesus didn't actually know what they were talking about? There's an interesting article in the Boston Globe magazine this morning. Do any of you actually get a newspaper? <laughs> All right, I'm, I, I actually get the Sunday Globe delivered to my house only because I love to fall asleep on the couch reading the Sunday Globe. And in the Boston Globe magazine, which you can get online, Boston Globe magazine, a story about a guy with a funny last name of Guth, G-U-T-H, an astrophysicist, who says he, somebody's nodding their head, I don't know if some of you have seen it, who says that he has figured out what happened before the Big Bang banged. <laughs> All right, you've got to read the thing. I don't get it, but it's some fun. The marvelous thing that I took out of it this morning was this, is that what caused all sorts of curiosity in the world of physics and astrophysics and all that is that this Big Bang universe is expanding uniformly. Now, 
I never thought about it, all right? I didn't lay awake at night thinking and worrying. The universe is not expanding, you know, uniformly, so we're all going to die. But apparently, if it didn't expand uniformly, it would tear itself apart and we never would have made it this far. But somehow this uniform, this universe is expanding uniformly. They don't know why it did that. It shouldn't have done that. And he came up with this reason as to what happened why, before the Big Bang banged. The guy who walks up to Cleopas and the other guy was the Jesus who was there before the Big Bang. Sit and think about that this afternoon. The God that we are worshiping this morning and for the rest of this week and for the rest of our lives is the God who was there before the Big Bang. If, in fact, the Big Bang is true. Again, I don't know. And he walks up to these two fellows who are talking amongst themselves and says, So, what are you talking about? He knew full well what they were talking about. And they answer him, Cleopas. Cleopas, where are you? He answered him and he said, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? I mean, I love this story. He's just being so coy about the whole thing. And here's Cleopas <laughs> talking to the creator of the universe. Are you the only one that hasn't got the story? I mean, I'm petty. If it was me, if, it was, if I was Jesus for a day, I'd be like, dude, listen, I knew you a bazillion thousand gazillion years before you were even born. Don't even ask me that question. But he says... No, what things? Tell me. He gives them permission, shall we say, to unload, to get it off their chest, to talk freely. And they said to him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was prophet, mighty in word and deed. Mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. Are you keeping this picture in your head of Jesus, the one who was with God, who is God, there before the Big Bang? How our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Remember, they all had in their heart that this Jesus was going to release them from the worldly oppression that the Roman Empire had on them, that the ruling class of Israel had on them, that the Pharisees and Sadducees had on them. These people were pushed down, oppressed, and held under, and they were hoping that this Jesus was the Messiah who would deliver them from that. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Switch. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said, but him they did not see. So, they knew that this tomb was empty. Some of their own had said, he was alive. He made it. He said what he was going to do, and we didn't see it. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the, that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? 
And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He actually calls them stupid. You know, I, I tried to find a nicer word in Greek for it, but quite frankly, it basically comes out as stupid. Oh, stupid, stupid Cleopas and other guy. They were downcast. Earlier, you know, they were sad and they were, it had weighed down. You ever find yourself in that boat? Pardon the pun, but I always use that imagery. You ever find, I mean, God has blessed you in your life. God has done things. He's called you out of darkness. You've had wonderful days in front of you and you say, oh, I love serving God. And then somebody pulls a rug out from underneath you and immediately, as human beings, we just go, ugh. My mother is 88 years old. She's a saint. She speaks with God directly, I am sure. But she has this saying when she gets confused. Oh, Stevie. She, she calls me Stevie. Stevie, what's God? Where is God in all this? And I, it drives me nuts. I'm like, where is he? He was there before we even showed up. Where grace is found, there you are, God. I just showed up to the scene. You were here all along. And yet we let ourselves get pulled down by that weight. Because we can only see so far. And because our sight stops there, that's all we calculate into God's plan for us. That far. God's plan for us is infinite. God's plan for us was infinite and is infinite. And so Jesus starts to tell them from the Old Testament all of these things. I mean, it was the guys rattling off these verses. There's around 45, 48 verses in the Old Testament that talk about the Messiah and he starts rattling them off. Reminding them of their own heritage and the things they learned in Jewish Sunday school or whatever, Saturday school. Telling them that this is what this Jesus, whom you're worried he's dead, this is who this person is. Let's flip the slide. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. So they've been chatting and yakking and talking along the way. And they come near to this village And this is really curious to me also. This is one of those things. And he acted as if he were going further. So my first thought is, where the heck were you going? They start to go to the left, and Jesus kind of does this little thing and starts to go to the right as if he was going to continue on. And it actually says in the Greek, he pretended that he was going on. So he had something up his toga. He was waiting for them to invite him in. They had the option to say, thank you. Nice journey, nice visit, nice walk. Me and the other guy, we're just going to continue on. I sometimes wonder if Cleopas even knew what the other guy's name was. But they say, wait, whoa, where are you going? Stop. It's late. You don't want to travel on the road at night. It's dangerous. 
These are ancient Middle Eastern hospitality rules. Do not let the stranger move on. If you have a place that you can offer them a sanctuary, invite them in. Come back to our house. Let's spend time together. And so they drew near to the village and they say, stay with us for it is evening. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. So the tendency is to look at this and think, what? Put it all together, blessed, broke the bread, gave it to them. You do it the first Sunday of every month. Communion, Lord's Supper, the Last Supper, the Lord's Table. It sounds an awful lot like that, doesn't it? And perhaps it is. And it was at that moment when he blessed it and broke it and gave it to them that the the revelation occurred. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. Now Jesus has this annoying little habit of showing up and disappearing in a moment's notice. It's like, hey, did you hear that? Whoa, where'd you go? (laughs) Oh, there you are over here on this side now. And they... The, the scales remove the eyes. I don't know. They, they suddenly recognize him, and poof, he's gone. And they said to our, each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? There's a passage in the Old Testament that I absolutely love. Jacob is in the desert, and he's left his family. He's left his father, and he's left Esau, and he's going to another land to find a wife. A good journey, probably, And he falls asleep and he has this dream and he sees the angels coming up and down the ladder. You know that? He grabs the stone and uses it as a pillow. It's in Genesis. And there's a line in there that I just, one of the several lines in scripture I just hang on to and that's one of them. Jacob saw this vision. He saw this ladder going up to heaven and angels ascending and descending upon it. And he said, surely God was in this place and I did not even know it. Did not our hearts burn within us as he spoke these words from Scripture? They were suddenly realizing that God was with them and they did not even know it. Do you feel that way? God is with me sometimes and I didn't even know it. I didn't even get it until he just brings this blessing. Now, the reason I think the reason why they recognize him after he broke the bread is not necessarily because of the Lord's Supper, because they weren't there, these two, Cleopas and the other guy. They weren't at that last supper. But they may have well been when he fed the 5,000 with a few loaves of bread and a couple of fish. And they would have seen Jesus tear that bread, and all of a sudden, you know, these several loaves of bread feeds 5,000 people. And they say, whoa, that was him. Because of that act of breaking bread, because of the visual connection, the smell of the bread, I don't know. It's, God made us with such wonderful senses and we, we, can, we can pull that all in and all of a sudden clink, it clicks in the memory. And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were gathered them with them to the, together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. So what's the point of all this marvelous story? 
We're all on a journey. We're all on a road. We may have a companion. We may be alone. We may be of an understanding of what God is doing in our lives at that moment, or it may be a time in our life when we're just blinded to it because of our short-sightedness as human beings. But it is as we walk along and we think that these inconsequential visitors in our life or things that happen in our life are just coincidental, here's the million-dollar offering to you. They're not. It is God. Stuart and I were having coffee this morning in Billy's Coffee Shop. I'd never met Stuart before in my life. I was late. I'm like, okay, I think I remember the picture I saw of him on his email kind of a thing, so I'm just going to pull up and run in, and we saw each other, and as we sat down, we had a nice time. He bought me a cup of coffee, and we just started sharing about who we were and our lives and so forth, and our paths surely have never, ever crossed, right? And they really haven't physically crossed, but I said, well, my wife works as a nursing assistant in an assisted living home. He says, oh, really, which one? I said, Longwood Place and Ready. Oh, I know it. I work for a company called Cushman Wakefield, who facilitates financially the transfer of these kind of properties, blah, blah, blah. Sharon's place of work, Longwood Place, was sold midnight, April 30th, to LCB, Stewart's company, and Stewart, in fact, was involved in that transition. And so he's like, wow, look at that connection. Your wife and I, I was just working on this project, and I'm just always amazed. Now, in the grand eternal scheme of things, does that mean a whole lot? No. (laughs) But in my heart this morning, and in Stuart's heart, it was a connection. It was like, wow. Wow. I don't call that a coincidence. You can sit here all you want and say, well, that's just, you know, coincidence. You know, he works for a big company. Your wife works in a field. So what? I call it God. Because I was coming here a little bit rushed this morning. I was feeling like, oh, man, I've tried to get everything all ready and lined up, and the ship comes in earlier than it was supposed to come in, so I had to call my wife and get her to come in so that she could be there until my regular staff showed up so that I could come over here and have coffee with Stuart and blah, 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 blah. And God just says, listen, chill. I got it. I was there before the Big Bang. I think I can handle this. I was there before Longwood was bought by LCB. I think I can handle this. I was there on the cross. I think I can handle this. I left the empty tomb. I think I can handle this. I'm sitting at the right hand of the Father. I think I can handle this. I know you. I think I can handle this. Did not our hearts burn within us? Part of what I do at New England Seafarers Mission, I've developed this little acronym. I'm very proud of myself for having done this. (laughs) The acronym is the word HEART. HEART. Not the New England hat. HEART. There's an R in there. (laughs) We provide hospitality by creating a space of welcomeness and security 
and friendship. A place outside the storm or away from the dangers of the night, away from the affairs of this world and say, be at peace here. As we go on board ships and visit with crew members, we just welcome them and say, welcome to Boston. Tell me your story. It's one of my favorite things that I do. I literally don't tell anybody this, but I get paid to climb on a ship, sit down in in the mess room, like having coffee with Stuart, and listen to guys' stories. I should do it for free, but I'm not. But I should. I got you know, bills to pay to. (laughs) Encouragement. As we hear those stories, we offer encouragement to them. Lord was telling me the story of how when he was in school, his older brother and sister paid his way through school. And that's why he was at the Seafarers Mission that day, at the MoneyGram, to send money to them to repay them that loan. And I said to him, Lord, That is a noble thing that you're doing. And you're working hard for your family. You are blessing them by remembering that. It sounds like a little thing. But when you're at sea for weeks and months on end and to hear somebody say what you're doing is a good thing, you're providing for your family, it means a lot. We encourage them. We provide a path of advocacy. Because sometimes those stories go past the good stories and into the difficult stories. Sometimes these, these guys are working for foreign corporations on foreign flagged vessels. That means that the vessel only has to follow the laws of the country in which it is flagged. And when your vessel is flagged in the country of Liberia, there are not a lot of laws that cover the rights of the employees. So they're often taken advantage of and suffer at the hands of these foreign corporations. We can step in and hear those stories and gather that information and bring in together some maritime lawyers who would work on their behalf and help resolve the situation. We can step into contract disputes. We can help them get through medical issues and medical claims that they have because they were hurt while working on the ship. To have that kind of a person come on board into your place of work when you're not a resident of that country and you're a a foreign visitor working for a foreign flag, that means a lot. Advocacy. We help them reconnect. These guys work months and months at a time. Nine, a typical contract is nine months. Many of them are supporting their spouses, their children, their older brothers and sisters, their parents, their aunts, their uncles. They've created a little microeconomy back home that are depending on them. This is the best job that they are ever going to get from many of these countries. And, but they're away from them for so long, we help them reconnect with them. So we find ourselves becoming really proficient at understanding phone cards and SIM cards and cell phones. More than I ever wanted to know, and I have never yet seen a seminary class to teach you about a phone card or a SIM card. But we got to know that stuff because when Seafarer comes to me and says, what's the best way for me to contact home? I say, well, you might want to get the T-Mobile SIM card and then buy this international phone card and make this phone call. I once, when I was in seminary, I went to Israel as part of a seminar. And we found ourselves in Jordan, in Amman, Jordan. And we wanted to call home because we'd been away for, I don't know, seven or eight days. And one of our group bought a phone. Now, this was 1998. Eight. She bought a phone card. It cost her $10, I think, and the, and the 
salesman said, you, you should be able to talk for 50 minutes to the United States. Good. She gets it home. She talks for one minute. Gone. It was a little sidewalk vendor. By the time we went back there, he was gone. My point I'm saying is, when you're away from home for so long, when you're lonely and you want to talk to your family, you want to do two things. You want to talk to them now and you want to find a way that will connect you with them so that you can talk to them for as long as you can. And now a chaplain comes on board a ship and says, here's a phone card, five bucks, and you're going to be able to talk for 75 minutes. If you don't, come back and see me. What's that worth to you? It's worth a lot. Put yourself in that position sometime. I once sold a phone card to a young Filipino man. He took the card, he went out. This was a long time ago. Went on the dock, used a payphone out there. When he came back 30 minutes later, I said, how was your call home? His eyes were rimmed with water. I thought something was wrong. He said, I just called home. And I listened to my newborn baby breathe for the first time. What's that worth? And finally, we provide a place of teaching. Because what we can say to them is, we serve a God who knows your name, knows where you're from, and loves you. Loves you so much that he has joined you on this voyage, either by one of our chaplains or some other maritime ministry or other. That's how much God has loved you. He's not left you alone when you think you're all alone. He's not. He's found you where you are. In fact, he was never gone. That is the heart of Christ. Matthew 25 says, For as much as you've done it unto the least of these, you have done it unto me. Every little thing you offer, every concrete thing that you give someone, a glass of water, an encouraging word, a phone card, a time of prayer together, a story shared about some bizarre connection in your lives. When offered in the name of Christ, you have in fact have done it unto Christ. That is his heart. It's what I get to do at the Seafarers Mission all the time. You get to do it anywhere you go. In your place of work, in your school, your summer job, whatever that's going to be, in your home, in your neighborhood, in the subway. I know it's difficult, but it can happen. New England Seafarers Mission is right down the street. It literally, other than the fact that I couldn't find a parking spot here, it took me six minutes to get here by car. You're right in our backyard. If you're interested in helping at New England Seafarers Mission, I'd love to talk with you. Go to my website, necfarers.org. And there's places there where you can contact me by email. You can talk to me right now. You can volunteer to come in on a cruise ship day. I'll be down there from now till about 3 o'clock this afternoon. If you're not doing anything, drop on by. I'd love to have Cornerstone people helping us and partnering with us. But you have ministries your own. I'm here to encourage you that everything you do in your ministry, everything you do in your life is a blessing to God when offered in the name of Jesus and that he has never left you on that journey. And our calling is to remind others that he has not left us. If you're interested about this world of maritime, Google this phrase, 
90, the word 90, not the number, 90% of everything. It's a book by a woman named Rose George. 90% of everything. Her name is Rose George. Do you know that everything that you and I eat, wear, burn, drive, use, at one point was on a ship? 90%. There's the connection between you and I and the guys who work on these ships and provide for our material comfort here in this country. And in fact, the entire global economy depends on the maritime industry. If shipping stopped today, the global economy would collapse in three days. Three days. And these guys risk life and limb so that I can wear a shirt drink some coffee, wear some shoes, drive my car, and put gas in my car. There's the connection. They have something to do with us, and we have something to do with them. I'd leave you with this story. I was on a ship it had actually pulled into Black Falcon Pier in February. It was broken. Engine was broken. And they had to take a giant piece out of the engine and send it down to New Jersey to get fixed or whatever. So they were here for two months. So I had opportunity to go on board the ship for two months, every day, and visit with the crew, spend time with them, set up a little internet cafe in their lunchroom. They thought it was great, okay? Their life was probably the best their life is ever going to be while on board a ship. In Boston, they actually had access to the shore and they could come ashore. They had their own little internet cafe. I mean, life is great. All they needed now was a Starbucks coffee and they'd be fine, right? I, I visited with them every day, got to know them. I took 16 of them to the Celtics game because they'd never seen a Celtics game before. We had a great time. Well, it left a couple of months ago and it finally fixed it and it went to Germany. And I got this text message around Easter. Actually, it was Easter. And it was from the uh, chief cook on the ship, whose name was Simon. And he writes this. Good, G-U-D, good. Good day, Father Stephen. We're here in Belgium and moving for Hamburg, Germany, just to greet you there a meaningful Holy Week. I thought that was very nice. So I wrote back, thank you, Simon. I pray for all my friends on the Rickmers Hamburg. That's the name of the ship that you would have a blessed Holy Week. Good to hear from you. On Easter morning at 3 a.m., my phone chirps at me and I get a text message. My first thought was, oh dear, it's my daughter at college. What's wrong? (laughs) Well, it was Simon. I said, thank you, Simon, for waking me up on Easter morning. (laughs) Happy Easter, our beloved Father Stephen. Our friends and crew here extending their greetings and regards to you. Thank you for the prayers. More power. God bless. It was the best sunrise service I ever had. You see the power of connection, of relationship, of walking with each other in this life and encouraging one another and strengthening one another? It's what you're doing here. Keep it up. Keep it up. You're doing a great job. You're blessing the heart of Jesus. You're blessing the heart of God our Father. Bow your heads and let me pray for you.
Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. And I pray a blessing upon this church. I pray strength for them and joy, even in those difficult times, that they would look upon you as their Savior who has never left them. I pray that you would give them every good gift and strength for what they need. In Jesus' name, amen.